0: Welcome to the In Plain Sight podcast, a project of CityCare, an Oklahoma City-based nonprofit that inspires those willing to look social injustice and extreme poverty in the face and empowers them to do whatever it takes to create change. It is our goal to inspire you to care well for your city by bringing to light stories and issues lost in plain sight, hiding in the margins of our communities. You belong here because each of us has a role to play in the collective well-being of our friends and neighbors. We are activists for the overlooked and we are so glad you're here. Welcome back to In Plain Sight, a Care podcast. I'm your host, Jenna, and we are thrilled to welcome today to the show Corey Hall. Corey relocated to Oklahoma City 10 years ago and has spent most of that time as a social worker specializing in services to those experiencing homelessness in the metro area. Her main focuses are services for transition aged youth and wraparound services for chronically homeless individuals. She is currently on staff at Frontline Church Downtown and Dead Center Film Festival. Corey previously worked for CityCare at the Oklahoma City Day Shelter as an intensive housing advocate for the Journey Home Program. She currently serves on Mayor Holt's Homelessness Task Force and is helping to think through long-term solutions to end homelessness. She is also a spoken word artist and public speaker who uses creative arts to advocate for local issues. Listen in. Corey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Will you just tell us a little bit? I've read your bio for our listeners, but will you tell us just a little bit more about yourself, something that wouldn't come up in a bio?
1: Yeah, so I grew up a military child. My dad was in the military, um, in the U.S. Army specifically, so I moved around a lot. Um, Usually every three to four years, we would take a, a new position and move. So I've lived internationally. I spent most of my childhood in Germany and then the rest of it in the United States. So the cultural perspective has kind of been interesting for me to go from country to country and be able to come back to the United States and see um, just the difference in how we approach social issues. So that's kind of one thing that's unique about me.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So Corey, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past year, and I don't think I know anyone who has so many person to person experiences with homelessness. Would you kind of share with us some of the the similarities of experience, mm-hmm. uh, but also honoring the nuance of every individual story?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting for me. The, the one similarity that threads through all the stories that I know is a lack of relationship, whether it's broken relationships with families, broken relationships with service providers or friends, there's always a space where you can see a gap in people having a person to turn to for help, to ask questions, whether it was something as difficult as asking someone, can you live with them? Or whether it was something as small as asking for directions of how to fill out an application form, there's always a disconnection of relationship there.
0: So one thing we like to say at City Care is there's power in proximity. Yes. Can you tell us about somebody who would maybe care about this issue but they haven't been in proximity, in close relationship. Could you maybe help walk us through a little bit of how you would bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things people need to recognize is a lot of times they feel like there's a massive gap between their story and the story of someone who's experiencing homelessness. And there are always similarities that you can find along the way. Um, I think one of the things people get caught up in is not being able to feel like they have a solution to the person's problem that will offer them immediate help. But a lot of times what a person wants to know is that they're valued, that they're cared for, that someone wants to know their name. And so I think about one of the places I spend a lot of time downtown is a coffee shop that is on Main Street. And lots of people who are experiencing homelessness walk by. The staff at that coffee shop do a really great job of if they see someone outside sitting on a bench in the heat, just going out to offer them a water bottle. It closes the gap and offers them a space to ask if that person needs more help or more engagement. They don't have any solutions to homelessness. They're not a person who's a social worker or care provider, but they can provide care by just being proximate to that person coming in close, being a little bit vulnerable and taking the risk of asking someone, can I help you in this moment? And that kind of closes that gap. I think that's something that everyone can do. It doesn't have to be a large act. It's just asking yourself, can I ask one more question or take one more step to close that gap? It's a it's a process of both people walking in a little bit closer, you extending your hand and then being willing to take it.
0: Mm. I love you just unpacked just a little bit more about we don't have to have solutions mm-hmm. for them. Um, I think that that's a hindrance sometimes to folks doing good work is we, A, for us, which kind of makes the issue about us, it's like we want to see resolution. Yes. We want to see what our definition of success is. Yes. So could you share with us a little bit more about that we don't need those solutions and kind of what that means to the people yes. we serve?
1: I think when we talk about issues like homelessness, our immediate, response in our head is that the solution is for the person to no longer be homelessness, to experience homelessness. But really what's happening there is we have to realize the steps that it takes for a person to move into housing and be stably housed. So sometimes the solution is them getting on their medication so that they can have Mm -hmm. good health so that they can continue to stay housed. Or it's them meeting appointments. And so for us, what we think of as the solution may not be the immediate solution that they need. I think that we have to think about what the long-term process looks like like. One of the things that I've recognized a lot of other cities have failed in that Oklahoma City is trying to do a better job in is not thinking about the goal of ending homelessness, meaning that there are no more people who are living on the streets The first step is thinking about how can we help the people who are on the streets right now and those who may end up on the streets later. And so it's the process of prevention, the process of education. Those things can feel really difficult to wrap your hands around and say, we made a solution, we solved this problem. But organizations need to be doing all of those things. Um, I got to take a trip back to California and experience the amount of massive shift that has happened with a number of people who are living outside or living in hotels. Um, The town that I was born in has just hotels all along the sides of the highways where there are families living there. They've got their belongings piled up in the parking lots because there's no solution to their issue. And for a lot of people, they would say, well, they need to move out and move into a house, and once we get them housed, they'll be okay. But now we have children who have grown up in this systemic cycle of poverty need to have their their time and their space to be educated on how to prevent themselves from being in that space. How to help their parents engage how the parents to help their children engage in long-term solutions so that they don't end up back in that same space and i think for providers we can get a little burned out sometimes when we don't see those results of we got this many people housed or we got this program completely done um, but if we don't t- start to make the effort now we'll end up with a solution that's uncontrollable because we've let it grow for so long So I think prevention has to be a part of the conversation along with immediately addressing the needs of those who are experiencing homelessness currently. Um, If we can kind of hit it from that top down and then bottom up angle, I think that's the space where we'll really see some effort um, when we look back 10 years from now to know that we really made a difference. Um, I don't want us to end up being a city where we house the current people who are experiencing homelessness, but we haven't thought about those who may fall into it. Mm -hmm. And so that means dreaming big with things like eviction prevention plans and changing the laws on evictions. Um, Retaliatory evictions are a huge problem. We've got people who are seeing problems with their apartments like pests or rodents or things that aren't working. And when they complain to a landlord they're being evicted, um, that causes them to step into a space of experiencing homelessness or having the possibility of of experiencing homelessness. And so I think if we start to think about those types of solutions, that will help solve with the prevention issue and then thinking about how we can help those who are currently experiencing the problem.
0: Mm, That's good one thing that you kind of touched on was families experiencing homelessness so uh in about a month and a half we'll be having the odyssey project which is a city care fundraising event centered around storytelling yes this year we're telling the story of a family experiencing homelessness and we'll be diving deeper into that but would you give me maybe just like a few unique challenges that families face and some of those long-term effects. Would you dive into that for us? Yeah,
1: so some things that I've encountered over the years, um, for example, I have a friend who experienced homelessness for two years and the reason that she was homeless for that long was not because she wasn't working she had a full-time job but because she was a single parent of seven children mm. her husband was incarcerated and once he went to jail she had a really hard time finding someone who would rent to her finding a space that would fit her family and the first step of finding a shelter that could accommodate her and her family and so working with a local shelter to figure out how we could accommodate her because she needed twice as much space as other families that can be a huge issue another issue is when you have children in multiple grade levels that need to be taken to multiple schools and multiple parent-teacher conferences in the midst of your work schedule, it can be really difficult to accommodate that. If you're staying in a shelter with curfews or if you're living in a hotel where you have to be able to pay your daily rate at a certain time of day, those things can cause real issues for families. I think another part of the family conversation is the lack of resources to encompass care for the whole family. A lot of times you see um, shelters that are available for women or just women and children, not for married couples, not for single dads. There are lots of other issues that encompass that where you have unique family situations where there's not a space for them to stay to make that first step Mm -hmm. to getting out of homelessness. But the largest issue that I've seen with families that I think we are trying to work on solutions towards is the disparity in how the US and federal government sees homelessness and how they calculate homelessness versus how our education system and schools calculate homelessness, it gives us a different number of how many people are actually experiencing that as a family. So the, the government sees homelessness as someone who's not living outside or living in um, a shelter. So if they're sheltered or they're living on the streets, they count as being homeless. Uh, The schools see that as people who are also couch-hopping, living in a hotel, families bunking up together in tiny apartments, so it expands the number of children who are experiencing homelessness, but if programs don't have the resources to include those children in their counts, they can't provide services. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge piece that we have to address. Um, When you look at how many people we would say are experiencing homelessness in Oklahoma City, and then you ask the schools how many children in your school are experiencing homelessness, the number is much, much larger. And so we can't provide services to those families if we don't know that they're homeless. Um, And I think that families more than anyone live in that invisible space of living in hotels or cars more than any other group. And so it's very hard to know how many families are experiencing homelessness in the city, and it's hard to provide services if you don't know the number of people that you need to help. Um, I know that in some cities like Chicago, they do their official count for the, you know, housing services to determine their number of people who are homeless. And then they do another count where they actually go to schools, they go out to hotels, and then they increase what they're assuming the number of people who are experiencing homelessness is by that count. So I think there are some ways that we can change those policies to help us get an accurate count so we can serve families better.
0: That's really good, Corey. I, I had not thought about the different ways we derive data mm-hmm. and how far apart those can yeah. be. That's a huge funding question. that's a lot of things. Do you have a particular story that you would feel comfortable sharing? Uh, maybe about a family or yeah. an individual um, that you were able to personally uh, you know disrupt their, you know uh, a crisis situation and, and see some, some movement?
1: yeah so just recently last month actually we had a family that um, has been receiving care from different agencies in the city it's a mom with two teenage children she's been living in a hotel paying day-to-day motel rent basically um she is working she's working a job that she can um, you know still be able to take her kids to school in the morning and have time with them and then go to work and works all day but when she comes home she doesn't have enough money to save to make a deposit for an apartment um, we, we talked to her, kind of got a little bit more details about her situation. She'd had a previous eviction years ago, almost eight years ago, but the amount that she owed was still being held over her head and she wasn't able to access any resources like Section 8 or public housing without paying that fee. Um, it was $600. For her, that's a mountain to climb. She's paying a daily rate at a motel, not able to save, so there is no way that she's going to be able to reach $600. In her mind, she was going to try to save a week so that she could make that $600. And then once she got it, hoping that they would hold the apartment for Section 8 or public housing for her until that day. And we were able to step in and find a church to partner with to pay that for her. $600 that people were able to give her that changed her situation. Mm -hmm. Such a small amount, but it was just a massive roadblock. And there are families all over our city experiencing roadblocks like that. Um, there are parents who are telling their kids one more day one more day and that day continues to go on and on and on for those parents where they have to try to offer their kids hope when they themselves may be losing hope but I think one of the things I've seen about parents experiencing homelessness they're so resilient because they want to be resilient for their kids and they want to raise resilient kids but they sacrifice their own Um, sanity, their own well-being for the sake of their children. And so they give what pieces of hope they have left to their kids. And it's a beautiful thing to see that relationship happen, but it shouldn't be that way. And so for us to be able to identify spaces where churches and nonprofits and individual people can step in to fill those gaps to move those roadblocks out of the way for people who can't move them themselves so then they can move forward and take the steps that they can take on their own two feet to end their um, situation of being in homelessness or of living in hotels or their cars those are things that for us feel like feathers to lift and move out of their way but for them are massive boulders and so i think that's one of the ways that we can step in
0: yeah, you know, I, I think of all the buzz around self care. Yes. And you yes. know I think that self care is only for people with margin.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> right. You know, when you when you start to see fumes coming out of your car, you stop and you figure out what the fumes are. But when you're in a situation where you're experiencing poverty or experiencing homelessness, your fumes have already been going. Your fumes are running on fumes. Mm. You're in a situation where you're just going to continue to roll the car forward until it stops. And then you get out and you push the car to keep it going. We have the margin and we have the privilege to be able to take it to someone to help us fix it. And a lot of times they don't have that. I get to take a day off of work if I feel like I need self-care or if I need to process my own mental health and people who are in these situations don't get the space to do that. I think that's a huge piece that's missing from the care systems that have been put in place by a lot of cities, is we're so focused on meeting the need of ending their homelessness that we forget that self-care and wellness is a part of that, and people, even once they're housed, need a space to be able to process through that. I think um, we talk all the time about um, people who are experiencing homelessness having multiple issues that they need to work through when they're done, and mental health and self-care and wellness needs to be a part of that conversation. We don't want someone to feel like, we've offered you home, your house, now get it together. It's like, hey, let's process what you've walked through. Let's process how it's affected you. Let's process the fact that for the last two years, three years, 10 years, you've experienced something that most people will never experience in their life and it's caused a lot of trauma it's caused a lot of issues that maybe you don't even realize are there and how can we help you process that so that you can sustain your housing and sustain this new quality of life that you've received
0: yeah i think too often we look at housing as the destination when it's the starting point
1: yes (laughs) you know it's the uh, image of we see all the time people celebrating someone getting a key to their apartment or their house and opening the door, but they're not just opening the door to a space to live, they're opening the door to new quality of life. And so they have to explore that. They're exploring the rooms of their new house, they're exploring the rooms of their new apartment, and then they're exploring the depths of what's been created by the situation, walking from room to room, making assessments of, how am I? How's my physical health? How's my mental health? Do I have a point now to be able to bridge those gaps of relationship that I broke? Can mm-hmm. I go get a job? Can I get um, benefits and care? What can I do? Can I build a relationship with my neighbors? Can I figure out where the library is in my town? All of these things now that they have to go and find like resources to do and, and to access and things that they want to try, um, it opens the door for that. So that key is like a double key. It's a key to a new house and it's
0: a key to a new life. Mm, Corey, that's beautiful. Just to wrap us up, yeah, I wanted to ask you a question we ask a lot of our guests. Mm-hmm so the title of our podcast is hidden in plain sight yes so if you would not mind could you share with us a time that you personally felt hidden in plain sight and how did someone help you feel seen
1: yeah i think um an experience that i um often talk about is being a person of color in a city that is majority white the experience that i have of coming from a country that has walked through lots of cultural issues in germany with race tensions of different identities, and then coming to the United States and experiencing that over again in a new way. Um, there have been many times where I've been in a room where people have made remarks or said things that they don't realize are offensive. And I've had moments where someone in the room notices that and comes to ask me if I'm okay. And it's that moment where I realize someone sees what's happening. And even though I felt it and carried the burden and weight of that for a while, there are people who get it and there are people who want to help and see that change. And so I think that's a time that I can relate to. Um, The idea of being hidden in plain sight sometimes can feel like, well, what does that mean? But we all have those moments where we look around a room and we wonder if people see that we're there. We wonder if we have value. We wonder if people notice when we're hurting or when we're happy. We want someone to celebrate with us. We want someone to mourn with us. And so I think the value of being hidden in plain sight is it gives people an opportunity to find you. And I hope that through this podcast and through the programs that CityCare um, has established that it gives people an opportunity to step in and find someone that they can become proximate with.
0: Well, oh, it's so beautiful. Corey, thank you so yeah, much for being no here. thank you. Can you ask one more question? I was so moved by my conversation with Corey and we spent a solid 30 minutes afterwards unpacking even more that I wish I could have brought for you today. But I am telling you that is powerful stuff. Can you ask one more question? Thank you so much for listening. Follow City Care on all social media at CityCareOKC. We are activists for the overlooked and we'll see you next time.